This is Cambridge Judge Business School's online knowledge centre with expert commentary, analysis and insights into the issues of the day. The energy companies are under the off-gem cosh at the moment. One's been fined £2 million for failing to handle complaints correctly. Earlier this year, another was fined for misreporting how much electricity it had supplied over seven years. Apparently, the regulator is looking into the activities of two more major suppliers. Add to that the spat that arose when Ofgem published figures showing that the profitability of energy suppliers has soared in a couple of months. Ofgem claimed the profit margin for energy suppliers had risen from £125 per customer per year from £15 in June. The figure is a snapshot of how much the suppliers would make from dual-fuel customers if energy prices and bills remained unchanged for the next year. However, the energy suppliers' body, Energy UK, insists a snapshot every few months does not provide a realistic figure. Dr Michael Pollitt of Cambridge Judge Business School is Assistant Director of the Electricity Policy Research Group. What's his view? Well, I think it is misleading to look at one period's figures um, because you do need to look at things in the round. Um, Some of the underlying investments that energy companies make um, pay off over 15 uh, years or even up to 40 years. So clearly you do need to look at average profitability over a run of years. And if you look at those same figures from Ofgem over um, a five-year period, you see that a few years ago there were the companies were losing £55 a customer and I'm sure that um, people weren't jumping up and down saying that we must raise energy prices then uh, in order to uh, protect um, the company's uh, investments. So I think we do need to look at things in the round and, um, and, uh, and take a longer term view. The figures will show you that uh, the providers lost money for much of the time from 2004 to 2009. That's the five-year period, isn't it? Uh, the, the thing, of course, to note about this um, margin is that it is a retail margin. It's not incorporating the profits that the companies might be making on their generation portfolio um, uh, or on their wholesale businesses. So it's not really the, the, the aggregate profit figure for the, most of these utilities activities. Isn't it time for them to aggregate it and pour some of that wholesale or generation profit back into the retail side? I think we're in a, a, you know, a difficult place at the moment with company profitability because on the one hand we do want companies to keep prices down and to have you know, reasonable and fairly low levels of profitability um, to keep customer bills down. But on the other hand, we want to clearly incentivise companies to make very long-term investments, which are quite risky and for which they need to be assured of an adequate rate of return over the longer term. And it, it makes companies very nervous if they think that every time they show a, a, a paper profit, there's going to be a public outcry which makes it difficult for them to raise prices to a sustainable level over the longer term and that will uh, discourage investments uh, in big capital intensive uh, things like new nuclear plants or um, uh, offshore wind or whatever it is that they're uh, needing to invest in. Across the board looking at Europe as a whole how do our prices our retail prices compare with say the likes of Germany, France 
Italy or, or wherever? Well, I mean, I think the, the figures for last year showed that we still had um, the cheapest uh, retail gas prices for prices for household use. We uh, had, I think, the fourth cheapest electricity prices among uh, major European countries. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that the taxes that we put on uh, household energy are actually very low. Um, we've got you know a VAT rate of just five percent on household energy, um, which compares uh, very favourably to certain other countries. Um, in Denmark, for instance, which has the highest um, electricity prices in Europe, about 50% of the um, price that consumers pay is actually tax. So we're not badly off in that respect? In, in that respect, we're not badly off. Though, of course, living in northern Europe, we tend to consume a bit more energy um, uh, than uh, countries in, in a more southerly place because, of course, our heating bills are higher. Are we, do you think, or do you consider putting too many eggs in the basket of renewables? I think that the issue with renewables is always the extent to which we can reasonably expect um, investments that we make in renewables now to result in learning which reduces the future cost of renewables such that at some point in the future renewables are cost competitive with alternatives um, incorporating the price of carbon. Um, That means that we need to be quite vigilant about whether individual renewable technologies costs are coming down fast enough to have a reasonable expectation that they will become cost competitive in the future. So um, in answer to your question, the the jury is out about offshore wind, uh, which is very expensive and which doesn't appear to be coming down in cost, while other things like onshore wind seems to be making good progress towards um, being cost competitive and there is still a possibility that um, solar PV, which has been making very uh, significant progress towards cost competitiveness, will become cost competitive at some point in the not too distant future. The beauty, I suppose, in some respects of offshore wind is that, yes, we are an island and we've got, we've got limitless resources in terms of offshore capacity with the wind the winds blowing and, of course, tidal power as well. The downside from the point of view of onshore is that nobody wants a wind turbine in their back garden. There are two points there. I think um, on the offshore wind question, um, we need to distinguish very carefully between economic potential and technical potential. Yes, the UK has a lot of technical potential for offshore wind. That doesn't mean it's ever going to be economic. You know, we've got lots of technical potential for coal, but we've abandoned it um, because it's um, very expensive in the main. So we do need to uh, clearly distinguish between that. And your second point was um, about uh, the sort of NIMBY objections to onshore wind, and those are very unfortunate. Clearly, the the UK has to do more in, on the public acceptability of onshore wind. Uh, other countries seem to have been much better on that, that, and they've been able to do that by having much more community involvement in local wind projects, such as having community ownership of um, local wind parks, which gives the the people who actually have to look at the wind farm a financial um, incentive to agree to it. 
And there also needs to be much more um, public education about the fact that when people actually have a wind park, they um, forget about all the objections that they had beforehand because it just becomes part of the landscape and they actually quite like um, looking at it. So which way do you think it's going to go? I think that um, we are beginning to see signs of an adjustment in um, government the position towards energy simply because economic reality is now begun, beginning to, to hit home. Um, we've seen the recent abandonment of the um, carbon capture and storage project at Longana due to a failure to negotiate a reasonable price with the one remaining bidder in, 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 the, in the auction to supply this carbon capture and storage plant. Um, and I think we're beginning to see other signs now that the government is, is taking seriously the fact that some of these potential rises in bills that that customers might face if we go ahead with these policies are actually not going to be politically sustainable. A broader picture, the EU wants its countries to improve its energy security and reduce household demand. I mean, do you think that the EU is actually being too ambitious? I think that the EU um, continues to be characterised by a confusion between industrial policy towards renewables and decarbonisation policy. Our ambitions towards renewables clearly reflect an emphasis on industrial policy and the idea that renewables are going to be this great um, green industry of the future. Uh, And we probably have got the balance wrong between emphasising decarbonisation, which it now may be possible to do quite cheaply with, uh, with gas, If uh, the shale gas potential is realised in Europe, we could have a very significant decarbonisation simply as a result of converting from coal to gas. And we could use uh, higher carbon prices to incentivise demand reduction. So I think there are a couple of things which require emphasis. What what are we talking about in, in pounds, shillings and pence terms as opposed to euro terms? Well, I mean, some of the back of the envelope numbers that you can do are quite revealing. The the current price of a tonne of carbon dioxide in the European emissions trading system is about £10 a tonne. The government envisages that rising to about £70 a tonne by 2030. If that were to happen, um, that would raise the current price of uh, electricity from a gas-fired power plant by about 40%. Um, uh, If you were to include all wholesale gas, which is burnt for heating, in the European emissions trading system and apply a £70 per tonne of carbon dioxide price to that, that would raise the wholesale price of gas in the UK by about 70%. So, Having significant prices of carbon, which might do things like um, facilitate the building of new nuclear power plants and have a significant impact on um, reducing the demand for energy, um, those things will raise the price of domestic electricity and gas significantly. Dr Michael Pollitt, thank you very much. (laughs) 
This programme was produced by the Cambridge Judge Business School as part of its online broadcast series. Thank you.